Okay, we're live. Welcome to Dynasty Saturday Night 5. I made a special intro for tonight with the music, but I guess the, the clip thing I was using messed up the, the video sizing, so the, the picture was way off. But that the clip at the beginning uh, was Fish, 2017, Madison Square Garden, Baker's Dozen. They did 13 nights at MSG in 17 days, no repeats. And each night of the run was named it was a flavor of donut that was maple night, and they opened the show with oh, nice. sort of a Jimi Hendrix type instrumental of O Canada, which is a tribute to our guest tonight, Josh Walker, our host or my co-host will not be with me. However, Jacob Sanderson is. Uh, he was scheduled to come anyway. He's not just a sub; he's much more than that. Jacob, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Um... This has been like a really lovely day because basically from end of July when I wrote the bar exam to literally this past Sunday, I was just like, I got six weeks before I start work, uh, real work or other work. Um, and I'm never going to have six consecutive off weeks for like two more decades. So I got I to gotta go do everything we can. So I was in Ireland, yeah. I was in Chicago, I was back home, I was in Vegas and I was pretty exhausted at the end of all that. So this is my first weekend where like I kind of got in midday Sunday and then it was football and then it was grind work. So this was like a lovely day. I woke up late, had a nice little jog around the seawall. Uh, I've been like cooking, a little bit of cleaning. It's, it's a nice peaceful day right now. Yeah. And uh, and then you get to uh, you get to ruin it by talking uh, to me uh, uh, in, <laughs> in the evening. So uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Dynasty Saturday Night Five is Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast, the Going for Two Network. Please uh, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review if you're listening to the audio feed. If you're watching here on YouTube, feed the algorithm what it needs. Uh, like, subscribe, comment, all that jazz. Notify, bell, ting-a-ling-a-lingy. Uh, the uh, podcast theme, Dynasty Saturday Night 5, is we do lists of five uh, to sort of be the vehicle for, um, you know, talking about uh, Dynasty fantasy football. And, of course... Uh, since Jacob is here tonight, it's going to be a lot about running backs before we get started. Jamie, uh, always on the lives, uh, oh, checking yeah. in. He's been waiting weeks for this, so, <laughs> so you, you you better deliver, Jacob. Uh, and oh, your uh, your friend from the True North, oh, uh, yeah. Toronto Dave, checking in and saying hi. I met uh, Toronto Dave uh, in Toronto when I was there uh, about midway through the NFL season, and it was awesome. Uh, it was really fun. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's great. I, we, we love uh, Toronto Dave around here. So uh, before we get started with the list, we usually do sort of like a, a general opening. Um, so you and Tom and, and, and other folks it, that I would sort of put, a, you know, somewhat in that, you know, adjacent family of what I would say is sharp, galbrain, you know, analytically driven sort of, you know, not, not everybody does the same thing, but like you and Gretch and Harstad and you know, people like that have like, you know, really pushed my thinking the last few years on, on dynasty fantasy, but, but in particular dynasty. So if you could like describe your approach or how you came up about this approach to dynasty that sort of incorporates, you know, probability, behavioral economics, heuristics, you know, leaning into ceiling outcomes, 
that kind of how, how how did you get there and how would you describe like your style as a dynasty manager to somebody man um i don't know that i have like one cohesive approach but i think probably the the biggest thing that appealed to me most about dynasty when i started playing dynasty why it instantly became my favorite form of fantasy football is the dual incentive structure um and basically that's like a weirdly complicated phrase but it means kind of what everybody knows it means innately if you're playing dynasty it's the best thing you can do is win your dynasty league and depending on second third place prizes maybe that's the second and third best place thing you can do but after that you know everything else the best thing you can do is find a way to accrue value for your team right and really the way i define it is buying power for your team and so that constant push and pull of trying some people trying to improve their odds to win money right now at the possible expense of a chance to accrue value in the longer term. And then other people trying to balance those things, other people going all in for accruing value. Fundamentally, that's to me the most interesting thing about dynasty, because no matter how good or bad your team is, there's always something you can do to improve it. And you're constantly facing this push and pull. And what I really probably have found the most enjoyable and what I think is kind of an edge is just that some people look at that and they, you know, they kind of reject the binary. I would say that's probably your, your, your worst dynasty players. If you're not really trying to think in terms of that lens um, and you're just trying to win, you know, kind of every year in a vacuum. And then a lot of people look at that and they see it very binary where it's like, well, I either need to be all into win or I need to be all into be last. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's closer to right. But what I'm always fascinated by and really why I enjoy probabilistic gaming period is just I always kind of want to be betting on whatever the market's not pricing in. And in this sense, in Dynasty, we kind of get to be the market. We get to set our expectations of how likely do I think that I am to contend this year realistically? How much am I willing to go in on that versus how much am I willing to hedge against that? And to me, that idea of trying to string together these kind of two timelines um, where you're trying to make yourself competitive, but you're also trying to accrue value. To me, that's the most fun and and all the different ways you can construct rosters. So that's probably why I was drawn uh, most to Dynasty is that there's just that really interesting competing incentives. Um, And that's probably the biggest thing that I I write about is, is, you know, how how we're balancing those in different ways. Yeah, I've tried to this year start and say to myself, uh, and partly because, you know, of like I said, the influence of, of y'all is say no more of this cycle, this window approach of mm. I'm either rebuilding or I'm contending. I always want to have enough juice to be in the playoffs, but not, you know, go all in to marginally increase my chances. And I always want to have some draft capital in the cupboard to be liquid and just sort of, you know, I don't know if you call in that ride the middle or the third way, like Buddha or whatever, but that's, <laughs> that's kind of, you know, yeah, the third uh, way is the yeah. Tony Blair approach. To <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, no. Like Buddha, <laughs> not like Tony Blair. No, no, well, well, neoliberalism it has no place on, on this, on this podcast. The, the fantasy left will be meeting later to, uh, to discuss, but, um, so I have a question for you and it's a convoluted question and it kind sure. of falls into this idea of ceiling outcomes. So it, it it comes from a conversation that me and uh, Jesse Schneeman, my co-host on Dynasty Fever, were having about uh, uh, Christian Watson and Traylon Burks, but more so Christian Watson and me leaning into him and him not leaning into him, right? 
And when yeah. I was, and I told him this, I said, you're using what you think will happen. I'm betting on what I know can happen. And then I started thinking about how you were saying, yeah, the market got sharper. So heuristics are important, but now the market's even sharper than that. So the next task is then within that group, that archetype, that profile, you're back to figuring out which guy you're back to figuring yeah. out, you know, like that, this guy and, and not that guy. So uh, I've kind of have a visual to help represent this for folks that I made last night. Uh, I may or may not have uh, been a little stoned, but uh, can you see that or no? Uh, right now I just see a black screen. Okay. I don't know why that's not come. Okay. It was coming up before. Let me try it one more time here. Window. Hmm. All right. So anyway, it was essentially that left curve, middle curve, right curve, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah and, 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 and it was, it was about, there was like a lot of not Watson. And then in the middle, you know, year two wide receivers with really good rookie years and mm -hmm. numbers. And then on the right curve was a lot of not, not Watson. Right. So, um, Who's right? <laughs> I mean, the, the reality is, is that we don't, we don't know. Right. And it's always hard because there's so there's always a handful of players each year that wind up becoming like a proxy battle for something um, else beyond what that player is. Right. And oftentimes the reasons why players succeed or the reasons why they fail aren't always quite as clear as the cases people made for them or made against them during the season. And then oftentimes we wind up over learning these lessons because we're trying to overfit our analysis to whatever just happened. And we're saying, you know, a great example of this is uh, Brandon. I has a rookie season where comes in. He's, I mean, he's a first round pick, but he wasn't really like an analytical darling as a prospect. Also wasn't like a bad prospect either. Um, has this awesome rookie year, but it comes when Debo and Kittle miss the majority of the season. Debo especially comes with a different quarterback. And then you go into the next year and there's a sort of, you know, school of thought says, look, we shouldn't be worrying about target competition. Targets are earned. Brandon Ayuk's a study at this great rookie year. He's actually underpriced. And then other school of thought is like, well, you know, we're not considering that Debo Samuel could be that. How, how would he eat into him? go into that whole rabbit hole. Obviously that year works out where, where Ayuk doesn't have a good year. It looks like he's still a really good player, but Debo winds up being a smash. And then you get the next year, Amon Ross St. Brown. And I saw all these people sort of making this comparison where, okay, here's this other rookie that really feasted against really bad target competition when other people were out without Swift, without Hawkinson. Didn't we just learn this lesson from Brandon Ayuk that, you can't bet on this profile. And it's like, we didn't really learn any lesson, right? We learned something about Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and the 49ers. But like, that's a sample of one to test this larger theory, right? We don't really know why exactly certain things fail. It's not always the most likely explanation. And the reality is, is that any plausible explanation for anything that you apply broadly enough it's going to fit sometimes. It's not going to fit other times. And 
to me, the only thing that we really have control of is trying to gauge the player versus the cost. And so when you talk about a Christian Watson, right, it is a tough spot where a few years ago, he would have been a way cheaper bet. You know, he's a guy that was not really heralded as a prospect. We had quarterback concerns. His, you know, the bull case for him really comes from a fairly small sample of games and it comes from per route stats. And that's the kind of profile we would have gotten a nice discount on five years ago. Now we don't. Now we have to take that at the top of the fourth round in redraft. You know, we'll see. He's, he's hurt right now. I didn't wind up taking a bunch of him because I had to be a little bit more cost conscious than I would have been in the past, where he's going in a really similar area in seasonal drafts, Travis Etienne and Drake London. And then in dynasty drafts, he's kind of like the first guy after a tier of players that I think are clearly above him where I would kind of just prefer to be trading up. So it is that situation where when I first came into the industry, you know, a lot of my analysis more heuristically driven because I felt like there were these kind of clear inefficiencies. And basically my, you know, if you had asked me, how do you play dynasty two, three years ago, really, I would have just said the community fundamentally misunderstands that the impact of an outcome is far more important than the likelihood of an outcome. Most of the market cost is set on the likelihood of an outcome. And if we just purely bet on those that have higher impact relative to likelihood, we're going to just come out ahead in the wash and we're going to just, we're going to catch some losses. We're going to catch some wins, but the wins are going to be bigger than the losses. And we're going to come out ahead. And now the, the market has you know, learned that not in every case, but more, more consistently, that my analysis has evolved where I am going back into more micro stuff and more micro takes because we're often paying a higher price on these tough bets. Oftentimes we're getting a lot of bets that are clustered together and we have to decide which is the best one. And so to answer your Watson question, I think regardless of what he does this season, we're not going to know, you know, I don't think what the right answer was to this question. We'll know what the right answer was to Christian Watson but I don't even know that we'll know exactly why he failed if he fails or why he succeeded if he succeeded. It's just, we have to constantly be, I think, vigilant against overfitting. This was the thing that I was very proud of and I persistently made that sure nice. that. <laughs> so when you're on the right side of the curve, um, and maybe this is a good way to start thinking about moving into asking you about how you approach running backs. Do you have any... Um, heuristics would be a bad word because it's the middle of the curve but do you have do you have anything that you that helps you suss out you know okay which guy among among that that archetype or that profile is the one to bet on is the exception is it simply the ceiling outcome because the impact matters more than the likelihood and and as you said you know the tail ends are rewarded you know you're you're you know you're a champion or you're getting the 101 so is that is that the the, the way to look to look at, you know, that right side of the curve? Like, how do you pick out the this guy and not right. that guy in a way yeah. that might be different from the left side of the curve? And I'm not trying to make fun of my co-host, but he, he would be here to joke about it. You know, he's very much film-based, and he'll look at Watson and talk about route running and hands and blown coverages and things like that. And, you know, it does add color, and I don't, I don't like, disagree with it. But I just think the mountain of, you know, yards per route run, target share, you know, the mountain of that versus the small, you know, hill 
of the other stuff, I, I just think he's he's a good bet to make. So so how do you figure out which guys among the good bets are the best bets? Man, I you, you just keep trying, honestly. But I would say generally <laughs> what I what I try to do is like I, I wrote this whole piece on running backs and balloons that I think is like probably the best I've been able to put my view on running back analysis. And it's it's very long, so I won't try to summarize it all here. But largely speaking if there is one heuristic that I try to stick to when it comes to running backs, it's this idea of pressure. And to me, I kind of think that running backs, it's not always this binary, but mostly the way that running back pricing works is there's these running backs with upward moving talent pressure coming into conflict with downward pressure with workload concerns. And then there's the other running backs that is a less pressurized environment. There isn't really a lot of threats to their workload. Things look pretty good, but they're not really expanding that area through the pressure of their talent that they place onto the field. And generally speaking, I want to be trying to target the running backs in those more pressurized environments because you get more of the concerns that are priced in. And we know that running backs are already a fairly fragile bet, just even due to injury risk, um, before you even get into workload concerns and talent evaluation concerns. And then playing less into those less pressurized environments. I mean, I think sometimes something we miss is we spend so much time in the off season talking about, especially for running backs, like who's stealing the touches, who's taking the touches, who's getting the touches. And that's like, sometimes the answer is more nuanced than that. When you, when the Vikings have, a backfield, you know, I talked about Madison a lot this week and in, in my pieces, when you have a, a backfield like the Vikings do, where it's Alexander Madison, who's is a pretty replacement level starting talent in the NFL and, and paid as such, frankly, they didn't invest a ton into him. They released Alvin Cook. They don't really bring in anyone else. Like, okay, in one, in one sense, this speaks positively to how they are invested in Madison. But really what it kind of tells you is this is not a team that is prioritizing the running back position, like largely. And that makes sense. They had the second highest pass rate in the league last year. They're coming out and passing it a ton this year. They combine a really high pass rate with a really low check down rate. The running back is just not as big of a part of their offense, right? And that's what's going to happen when your best running back is Alexander Madison. So to me, it's like people are like, is he going to keep the job? Is he going to keep the job? And my pushback was like, he might just keep the job and it might be not a very valuable job Mm -hmm. because he's not going to be providing a lot of efficiency on his touches. And they're probably not going to be forcing a bunch of touches to the position. You know, teams are going to cater their offenses towards the talent that they have available to them to some extent, you know, it's never perfect, but like if you're a team that is invested in two good backs and they are both really, really talented you're probably going to make the running backs just a far larger part of your offense. And it speaks to what you value those running backs as. And so that's a lot of times what we see actually with these kind of more, you know, quote unquote dead zone backs. It's not always as dramatic as, you know, Mike Davis losing his job to quarter Patterson. Sometimes it's just, they hum along and they keep the job and they scored 11 points a game and, and the world spins madly on. <laughs> Whereas, um, it's a good song by the Weepies, by the way. Um, anyway, whereas you look at, you know, Travis Etienne was, was one who I thought was in this really pressurized spot where it's like you look at his talent profile and it's like there's a lot to love there. 
And then you look at what they talk about Tank Bigsby and say, yeah, these are warranted concerns. And I really like Tank Bigsby as well. And it's sort of how do you balance the spot where you have legitimate concerns, you have legitimate talent upside. And to me, that's just where I want to draft both players because when I'm on the clock and ETN is one of my highest ranked players, I'm just thinking through the lens of what his ceiling looks like. If I don't have ETN on that team, I can just look through the big speed lens, right? And I don't have to accept all the positive assumptions I just made about ETN when I'm looking towards the other player in that backfield. I want to be targeting these pressurized environments. And from then on, you kind of get more into the micro analysis. But in general, that's like sort of the heuristic that I'm applying. If I am trying to put it onto the curve, to me, it's, you know, um, if I was putting it on the curve, like to me that the bottom might be like, look at the construction of the backfield and the top might be the same, but I'm generally looking at those more crowded backfields are the ones that tend to excite me a little bit more. Mm, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of your, your writing has, has shown through. So on, on the screen here, we have the Manitoba moose, uh, Tom checking in nice. that he knows us. And uh, that's from full tilt uh, dynasty podcast of which you are a co-host. We kind of skipped your plugs at the beginning. Cause I was excited about the O Canada uh, lick. Uh, so, <laughs> Um, why don't you tell us about your plugs, including uh, thinking about thinking and 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 Hitchhiker's uh, guide? Yeah, you can find so all my written work is at jacobsanderson.substack.com. Substack is called Thinking About Thinking. Um, my main in-season content is the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back, which is this week's will not really look like most of the weeks. This week, I wrote about every single backfield because I just kind of wanted to have that level setting. Most weeks, what it's going to be is I'm going to write. Probably it'll come out Tuesday morning kind of a high level takeaway on some of the biggest changes. So if someone got a really different workload than they had gotten, if someone got hurt, kind of the idea of who we're immediately targeting and trades waivers, that kind of thing. And then probably a little bit later in the week, most of the time I'm going to be doing more of a spotlight onto a few backfields with some more player profilers that I think are, are interesting maybe with a more of a long-term view. And I'll be mixing in some dynasty content as well and some tournament content and stuff as it comes up. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you can find my podcast stuff. There's Tom down below. We do the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast uh, every Tuesday night in season. We have Sweat and Bullets. So we record usually on Wednesdays. It'll usually come out Thursday morning or Friday morning. And then, uh, yeah, I'm doing the DFS show with uh, Davis Maddock. That's up on the Full Tilt feed. It's up on the Sports Grid feed. Uh, and that comes out on Thursdays. What I like about the the DFS podcast with, with Davis, it's like, you know, I've, I've dug in to i don't i mean i don't process these numbers i read other people's shit you know and listen to podcasts and so i've got all these you know i got it right here there's like seven pages of notes that i have about about dfs this week and then i get to listen to you two in a very conversational way say okay mm -hmm. now that we've got all this info from early in the week we got to decide now how to use it in these in these games and and our and in our lineups and i i think and i like it it's a it's a very good blend of the type of sharp analysis you would expect from YouTube, but also very sort of uh, conversational and practical and like, okay, I've got my DraftKings tab open. What do you want me to do? Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Um, so I think some of the stuff that I, the other stuff I would ask about running back is probably going to come up as we, as we talk about the five uh, specific questions. Tonight's show is brought to you by underdog fantasy underdog has it all. Not just seasonal best ball leagues, but also now DFS and Pick'ems. They're not just football. They also have contests for every major sport. I've heard there are other sports. Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't have time for them. Uh, sign up with the promo code GF2. Get a deposit match of up to $100 if you are a new account on Underdog. It's as simple as that. 
go to the underdog app or underdog.com and enter the promo code GF2 and they will match your new account deposit up to $100. If you're watching here on the video, you see our fancy, shiny, shimmering QR code that you can scan and do that. And oh, by the way, with all that stuff going on, thinking about thinking, um, podcasts, working, traveling, etc., doing the research that all that entails, the secret is apparently not meth, it's beer. Who knew? <laughs> um, I liked the uh, the clip of you uh, uh, chugging the Guinness with uh, the Josh oh, yeah, Allen or whatever Josh at Allen. the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's now get into the five questions that Josh and I prepared for you. Um, you know, we had some scheduling wrinkles, so these were more like preseason questions. But I think what we can talk about is how we thought about these backfields going into the season and with the limited amount of data that we have how do we see these things shaking out for dynasty and what you know might be sticky what might might not be so um etienne and kenneth walker and you know by extension uh bigsby and charb you know i am not in the camp that said parallel backfields all offseason yeah i am not in the camp that said bigsby greater than sign um etienne i do think he you can argue that he's more well-rounded my argument was He's going to eat into Etienne a little bit more than folks think, and that Etienne is not as elite as folks think, uh, particularly because his pass-catching upside was not as good as people think. Um, and my argument was somewhat similar with Walker in that you know they spent the day two capital on this running back. He's very good. He's mm-hmm. arguably more well-rounded, uh, and you know Kenneth Walker is explosive, but not efficient and he's going to eat into walker's touches more than more than people think um you made a good case that separated i think etienne from walker uh when you were going over the backfields in the preseason that i think convinced me to say okay i'm going to get i'm going to lean a little bit more into etienne because i'm going to give him the edge and it's not as parallel as i thought so a long way to say you know, make the case that separates Etienne from Walker, and what does that mean for their their one Bs? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of parallels. You have like two young backs, two explosive backs next to two day two picks, um, and certainly last year they're they're both pretty. Uh, uh, they both were not adding a lot in the passing game. I think the two areas that that make have maybe more bullish on Etienne than Walker are. One, at least we have some sort of baseline from college of Travis Etienne being a pass catcher, and he was actually efficient at it in year one. So low volume year one as a rookie, but with plus efficiency. And then in college, like, and people have made the arguments, okay, it was he was just kind of catching swing passes and screen passes. He wasn't a more dynamic route runner. I think that proved to be correct in year one. But you can at least still point to this and say, like, he has been used by a team as a high volume pass catcher. And you can't say that about Walker. And then the other aspect was just as a rusher, Etienne's profile was a little bit more well-rounded year one, be a much higher success rate, um, rushing over expectation percentage, whereas Walker's was more based on big plays only. Mm-hmm. Um, I think week one, I mean, it's pretty bullish for both, but you know, those things mostly kind of held up where you see the F5 targets uh, are for, for both of these guys, which is exciting. 
ETN is, is the more efficient of the two turns in 27 yards. Uh, Walker for three yards. So you can kind of look and see like, all right, on the bright side, you get the targets on the downside. It didn't turn into anything. Um, both play a lot of snaps. The one interesting thing with this is, is you do have uh, Jacksonville is a little bit ahead of the curve on Seattle in terms of getting rid of their dusty uh, long down distance back where they went ahead <laughs> and made hasty a healthy scratch yeah. while Seattle continued to put DJ Dallas onto our television screens um, for at least for now on third longs. So that's probably the one difference uh, usage-wise. I feel pretty great about where Etienne showed as a receiver. I mean, it was only five catches. None of them were like crazy eventful. I thought he did look more comfortable uh, this week just watching the game than he did last year. If he can add that, like he ran over 80% of the routes this week. Um, if he can just – he doesn't have to be Alvin Kamara, you know. But if he can just run a lot of pass routes and catch the checkdowns that come to him, and then add that on top of his rushing profile in this offense. Like, I think he's at that point, he's going to finish as a top 10 running back uh, pretty clearly. But we'll see. I mean, they clearly like Bigsby. He made two, like, really bad rookie mistakes in this game, and yet they continue to give him the ball, uh, even in a really high leverage situation where he winds up scoring a goal line touchdown to put them ahead. Uh, only played 20% of the snaps in this game. But again, like, I could easily see a coach looking at Bigsby, you know, volleyballing the ball into a defender's hands, picking up a live ball, not knowing it's a live ball, giving it to the Colts and just being like, yeah, dude, like you're not going back in the football game and you're a healthy scratch next week. Like we could have seen that happen. And Doug Peterson didn't do that. So I think if you're a Bigsby manager, you're comfortable that he's at the very least the locked in number two. And if you're an ETN manager, you know, he had a really massive role week one and he played really well in it. So there'd be no reason for him to sort of see that get scaled back at least immediately. I guess that that's my next question then, you know, the, the, the idea of rookies is they get better as the season goes along second half of the season, they're, they're a, a better bet. And there isn't an infinite pie as tasty as that sounds. If we're expecting Bigsby slice to grow and that slice largely being from high value touches um, and are, are there concerns though about, Etienne in the sense of like maybe relative to where folks were on him that he's a top five six seven dynasty running back rather than now like probably a top 10 to 14 dynasty running back yeah his ADP I think coming into the season was eight so kind of in between those um and I think that that's fair I uh I think what it comes down to is like I mean I, I do believe quite strongly Etienne is the better running back than Tank Bixby. I like Tank Bixby, but I, I think Etienne is a superior talent, and ultimately he is, has the opportunity to dictate the, the makeup of this backfield. Um, just in that, I think if he continues to play as he did this week, where he's comfortable in the receiving game, he's consistent on the ground, and then he winds up providing the explosive touchdown that wins in the game. You know, that's I think. There's no reason why you look at that and say, we got to give him less touches. He, he certainly handled it well. If he starts to falter in any of those assets or he winds up suffering an injury and then Tank Bigsby gets a chance, that's when I think you start to see him gaining. But I do think this is a different situation than like we drafted this third round rookie and he's really exciting and he's you know sitting behind some you know average placeholder veteran. ETN's coming into his second year. He has a legitimate chance to improve from what he, we saw in his rookie year, or, well, his first year playing NFL running back, second year in the league. Um, so I think that, you know, he was going to get the first crack, and I think he excelled. So I'm not expecting to see it fall down this week in terms of his usage. Whether that changes, um, we'll see. But I think as long as he keeps playing how he played in week one, I think he's going to be able to maintain a hold on this role. Yeah. 
And whereas with Walker, uh, maybe in layman's terms, he might share the explosiveness of Etienne, but does not share the efficiency nor the growth as a pass catcher. I don't think so, but we'll see. I mean, I could yeah. be, be wrong. I mean, certainly first off, if you're a Walker fan, you like the role week one. You like that he was involved in the receiving game. Hope that the efficiency picks up. And, I mean, the fact that Charbonnet hasn't even fully crowded out TJ Dallas yet, you know, that's pretty encouraging for him in the sense that they might not be trying to force this rookie, you know, he's at least got a buffer, right? They're, they're at least got to get uh, Dallas out of the way for Charbonnet before they really start encroaching on uh, on Kenneth Walker's role. So I think you feel pretty good about both these backs, but it is a situation where, yeah, their, their role was pretty much assured to be good in week one. It's a matter of how it evolves from there. I think the most important thing is, how did these guys play? Uh, Walker played mostly good, um, but not not perfect. I thought Etienne was, you know, I really think he was one of the most impressive backs um, of week one. So I think it's, you're, you're feeling good at that point. Either of them for you, uh, a, a process sell or a guy that you're looking to tear down to get a plus on top of like a, I don't know, a, a Pierce or a, you know, James Cook or anything like that, or not really. Um, yeah, really, it would really just come down to the offer. I think that they're both pretty efficiently priced right now. So, like, I think, you know, you look at overall Dynasty ADP, they're probably both a little above where I'd have them. But that's pretty much every running back in the, like, particular bubble that I think a lot of our leagues exist in. Um, you can pretty much take half a round off every running back ADP. So I feel, like, pretty fine with where they're at. I would definitely sell them if I'm given an opportunity uh, to get, you know, what I think is a really strong offer. I would use them to get a guy that I think I, is really underpriced, but uh, generally I'm fine with where they're at, especially ETN. Okay. The next question too, we were going to ask you uh, before the season started, what's your analysis of Swift with whom you have a deep history uh, mm-hmm. and the Eagles backfield? Is it reasonable to expect Philly to increase their running back targets quote, now that they have a guy like Swift, end quote. And that's kind of what we were hearing a little bit from the beat. Listen, he's, you know, he's running routes and, and making catches that no other Philly back in recent history has done in camp. So, you know, maybe he's going to be the guy, right? Fast forward yeah, I mean, we have, two games I have basically... and now things look still weird, but like it's like Penny's a healthy scratch, 175 right. yards from Swift. You know, he's a ghost in game one and it's Gainwell. Like what's going on with Philly? Yeah, I mean, the, the Swift history, you know, it certainly even goes beyond this year in terms of kind of my evolving thoughts on him at cost. But if we just focus on the Philly aspect of it, I've, I read about him probably more than like, I wrote about this backfield, I think probably more times than it, almost any uh, it was the very first backfield that I wrote about, and and that originally was way back in like uh, I think late July or maybe even mid July. At that point in time, my attitude on the backfield was you basically had a receiving down only back really in Gainwell um, who can handle some rushing, but it's just totally unexplosive and, and doesn't really offer size um, strength either. You have a guy in Swift who offers the most versatility between the receiving game and the running game offers the explosion, but you're losing on, out on some of that reliability in the run game. And then you have a guy in Penny who has the chance to really mesh that reliability and consistency or reliability and explosiveness in the run game, doesn't offer anything in the passing game. And so to me, the initial question for this backfield was like, Gainwell's going to kind of be in his role. And then what we're going to see is like, does the team, would the team rather have a 
a running back who has a more flaws as a rusher, but where you can run your whole playbook and the defense has to respect your whole playbook or a player is a more well-rounded rusher, but you're effectively tipping plays when he's on the field because he's not providing anything in the receiving game. Um, and then, you know, what we kind of saw across camp, my initial read on that was like, well, I think that they're probably going to be using Penny most on early down start the year. Swift's going to have kind of a role on early downs and then Gainwell um, is that guy. But Swift, you're betting on the contingent side. Then we got a lot of really bad reports on Penny over the course of summer where it was like, it's Gainwell and Swift. It's not Penny. And to me, I, I mean, I, even the very first time I wrote about it, I was like, there's also just a chance he's 27, has gotten injured a bunch of times. He just doesn't have it anymore. And we mm. can throw all of the fancy stats about him out the window entirely. You know, that's probably where we're at at this point, right? So once we kind of got all that stuff in the summer, I was like, it's, if it's not Penny, then it kind of has to be Swift because it's just not going to be Gainwell. And after week one, it literally was. And yeah, I mean, my, my post, I think, after week one was just, it was Gainwell. I was wrong. I still think we're, it's not going to be the long-term solution. Like they still just like this offense has way too much explosive potential for the running backs to just like waste that by continuing to feed touches to getting Gainwell all year. So we get to see Swift come in. I think he probably Wally pips him. I think Gainwell is going to have, you know, definitely a bigger role than what we saw out of Scott and Penny in this past week. But I don't think that he ever sees a role that he saw in week one, at least unless then DeAndre Swift gets hurt. Um, it was the best rushing game I'd ever seen of DeAndre Swift's career. I thought he was a really, really remarkable in this one. Um, I always had some level of confidence that the Eagles would be able to scheme him in a way that would really maximize his strengths. But I don't think this was just all on them. You know, it was the offensive line was great. The scheme was great. But I thought Swift made a lot happen on his own. And I think he should continue to get the opportunity to do that. The receiving isn't really, you know, doesn't seem like a massive part of it yet, but it was a really run heavy game plan. So hard to take too much away from it. Yeah. So is it reasonable to expect that now if, if you have a weapon like a Swift that you, co you know, you, you scheme and coach to a player's talents, competitive advantage, that, that sort of thing, that, it, that a team that had 61 running back targets all year last year is going to, do that more with that quarterback or is that not reasonable to bet on? I mean, I think you're going to see, you know, it's a function of talent, right? So like Gainwell always had a higher target for a run than Sanders. He's a better pass catcher than Sanders. If they're, if, if, if this offense this year is not using Penny. So the only two running backs um, that they're going to be rotating between are Gainwell and Swift, you're going to have a higher target rate to running backs because they're going to be playing every single down with a pretty capable receiving running back. Mm -hmm. But it's up to them. I, I mean, basically the, the idea to me is what does Swift provide? Like really, he's not really that traditional outlet receiver. He's a, he's a dynamic early down receiving weapon. Um, so the question is, it's like, would you, do you want to design primary reads for him? Because doing that, you know, ultimately it takes away primary reads from AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard. So do I think it happens a little bit more? Sure. Do I think Swift, you know, on those plays will do a better job than Sanders, whatever. Yeah. I still don't think you're going to have a high throw rate because, you know, Hertz is still going to scramble. And I just don't think when you have AJ Brown and Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard on your team, you're, you're going to be a team. that's like our number one focus is scheming the running backs in space. So it feels like more something that they have in their back pocket but I don't think it's ever going to be like a massive focus where they're just spamming angle routes like lines. Sure. Tons. Yeah. I Penny is probably the 
zero RB, zero RB adjacent 2023, whatever you call it, wide receiver meta. Uh, that you know, running back that I was the wrongest about so far. I, I really, I really thought that you know his, you know his explosiveness when healthy and on the field, you know, was something that they were gonna be that they were gonna utilize, and it, it just, it just may be that you know that that he's. I was glad getting him in like rounds. I don't know, mm. twelve to fifteen of startups, and now it's looks like a whiff. Yeah, looks like he's. They're not gonna use him. Yeah, I would say I got pretty. I mean, I got kind of lucky, but I, I think this is, you know, I, I would credit myself to some extent for not remaining stubborn, but. I was, yeah, I was very in on Penny to start the year, but with the caveat that he is pretty old and pretty injured and that it could end at any moment. And the investment so was, wasn't much, right? Like the money. And the investment gave me wasn't was, much, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So to me, he was a guy where it's like, he was a guy I really did care about things like preseason usage and offseason reports on, right? And I don't, for everybody, but for him, it was like, it's not really a bet on talent when we don't know for sure what the talent is, right? It's like a bet on, theoretical talent the bet on the talent that we saw but it's it's if someone was like yeah he used to be really talented and then he got old and his knee has been shredded a million times so he's not that good anymore I'd be like yeah that's plausible um we haven't seen enough of him but i just have i have a decent amount of respect for the eagles organization mm-hmm. where to me if they had the rashad penny that we saw in seattle the last two years i think he'd be a part of the game plan mm-hmm. I, I just think yeah. he's probably not quite there anymore yeah I, and Boston Scott plays special teams and Penny really doesn't. So mm. might be a lot of more healthy scratches in his future. And then eventually he's cut and Trey Sermon is around. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right. So uh, question number three. Oh, actually real quick with Swift as a dynasty manager. I know it's kind of like a very broad question, but what do you, what are you doing with him? Uh, if let's say, for example, you were looking to flip him off this, you know, big game and maybe you had somebody who just lost Dobbins or something like that. And they're, they're looking to make a move at, at running yeah. back. What do you, what kind of price are you looking to get for, for sweat? Yeah. I mean, any first, that's not like an absolute lock to be late. Um, I'm taking for Swift. Uh, he's a volatile player. Yeah. Uh, both like both in terms of like literally like on the field, he's a volatile player. And then also just like archetypally, he's an arc, he's a volatile player and that, he went from possibly being the highest scoring running back this week after being Kenny Gainwell's backup the previous week. Um, so you, you're not, he's not a guy you should feel like secure about. So I would mm-hmm. much rather have a first, but yeah, I, I'm def- I think you want to talk to the manager, right? Like he, he has a lot of quote unquote truthers where I think that there's a lot of people that, you know, they've been holding Smith for a long time. They've been hearing people like me talk a lot of shit about Swift for a couple of years. And, <laughs> you know, you're asking that person to then sell after the best, one of the best games they've ever had. Like, you know, good luck, Chuck. Um, we're going to the moon. But I also think there's other people that might have taken a speculative gamble on Swift this offseason, immediately regretted their choices in week one. And now they look at week two and they're like, you know what? Let's just, let's get off, let's quit while we're ahead here um, and get off the roller coaster. So mm-hmm. it really depends. Um, like, I mean, I'm setting it too easily. I, there's plenty of players, I think, that I would like. If you want to name off maybe some players that are kind of in that range of, like, worth less than a one, worth more than a two, and I can give you uh, whatever. Do you want running backs or? Anything, really. But sure, if you want to do RVs. Uh, James Cook. I would rather have Swift. Um, 
let me see. Let me just pull up the ADP, see who's going around him to begin with. Um, uh, where is our buddy here? Uh, uh, Damian Pierce. Um, I, I mean, that's that's probably a pretty close one. And I definitely would have said Pierce prior to the season. Uh, but I think I'm probably leaning Swift slightly at this point. Uh, a guy I want to seem like I'm right on after one week and in, in staying the course, Michael Pittman. Definitely Pittman. Um, our buddy Christian Watson. Yeah, I would take Watson. Yeah, you have to, I think, on that one. Yeah. Um, where did Swift wind up slipping to? Oh yeah, he's oh he's all the way down to eight hundred one. Okay, I thought he was a little higher than that. He so he's going. Seven uh, eleven is Joe Mixon. Seven twelve is Miles Sanders. Eight hundred one is DeAndre Swift. Yeah, I think he'll be moving. He'll be, he'll he'll have higher value than that today after that performance for sure. I think I think that's safe to say. All right. I don't think you're getting him for Sanders or Mixon. All right. Uh, all right. Question number three. Uh, speaking of uh, parallels, uh, the Saints and Bears—they both had an incumbent running back, signed a veteran free agent, uh, and had a, a, a rookie as part of their ambiguous backfields um i guess that you know there are differences but you know broadly those are the parallels how are these backfields going to shape up and is, is there a better bet between roshan and kendra miller i guess you would have to say roshan at this point we've seen it yeah. a little bit in garbage time yep. and you know certainly there were re- there was reasons to be more excited about his well-rounded skill set and his path but uh what do you make of the the bears and the saints um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. I'm excited to see Kendra this week. It's, he's been such a tilting player for me because he was a prospect that I wasn't really super high on. But then I really liked the situation he walked into. And then he kept getting hurt. And I'd be like, okay, like, I'll buy into Kendra Miller now. Like, this is a good, good chance to kind of buy a little low on him. And then I'd be like, all right, you know, this is good. Like, I'm hedging against the chance that I... I'm a little wrong on this prospect that I didn't love um, at a better price. And then you get hurt again. I'm like, well, now I just paid too much. I gotta keep getting... At this point in time, I have Kendra Miller on almost none of my dynasty teams, but on almost all of my managed high stakes teams because he was borderline free. So I really hope that he gives us something. Roshan, uh, yeah, that was fascinating because there's kind of two schools of thought almost after that, you know, week one. I saw some people already declaring him the RB1, you know, looking at just sort of the raw stats. Uh, and then other people pushing back, you know, saying, oh, it was all in garbage time. And I think that both of those are a little right and both of those are a little wrong. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, if factually, no, he was not the Bears RB1 in this game. He touched the ball zero times in the first half. Um, and the vast majority of his production did come when the game was entirely out of hand. That being said, we're talking about a fourth round rookie. It's like not an, it's not like anything bad on him that he wasn't a massive focal point um, at the very beginning of his very first game. And the most important thing we want to see from round four rookies is that when they get into the game, that they look really good so that they're able to gain more playing time in the future. And he totally did that. So to me, I think if you are saying that he is already the RB1, you're incorrect, but you might be getting to the right result anyways, because I think anything that you, if you were a Roshan fan and you were hoping that he would take that job, you know, I think 
that he really showed you what you wanted to see. He looked uh, explosive as a runner. He looked he was consistently winning engagements with defenders, um, and he looked really fluid as a receiver. So uh, he's not the RB one yet, but he he may be mm-hmm. um, at some point. But I still really really like Khalil Herbert too, and I, I don't really understand why um, so many people are so quick to push him out the door when he's really done nothing but demonstrate a lot well, of talent. So to to be fair, he's your I should know better, but I still love you player, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just think that he. I don't think. I don't think that he's been very like accurately priced this season mm-hmm. in managed. Like in dynasty, it's whatever. Like he's, he's not an all around talent back. So like once you kind of get up toward the second round pick, it's like clearly Herbert's probably never going to get to be worth a first round pick. So there's not really yeah. a point, but in, in, in redraft and managed, like he got there by the very end of the season, but for the most part, like he was just being treated as like a total committee back. And I, I don't think that that was, fair or reasonable I, I think that his talent's been really really discounted so I think probably the next step in this backfield is that the foreman touches get crowded out and that yeah. we work this committee down to two with Herbert and Roshan and then we see what happens from there mm-hmm. right on and as far as the the Saints and Kendra go well I hope he just plays first of all we got to see him on the field I mean he's yeah. had so many injuries this offseason I think the first thing is he's got to get some snaps and he's got to look okay and healthy and from there, we'll see. I, I don't know. He might have missed some of his timeline here. I yeah. mean, we, the, really, ideally, he would have been healthy coming into the season, playing that kind of 1B role to Jamal Williams. And if he had the chance to really look clearly better than Williams, maybe he winds up keeping the 1B role with you know versus Kamara, and Williams is the one who winds up kind of out of the mix. Um, at this point, I think he's in a tight squeeze where – I would love it if they gave him a ton of touches on Monday. I'm not expecting it. I'm expecting him to play a pretty small role. He's he's barely practiced this whole offseason. All right. Question number four. Uh, this is two guys that I've generally been lower than market on almost from the second they were drafted. Dwayne McFarland is doing his best to, con- to convince me otherwise on James Cook, but we'll see. So uh, James Cook and Rashad White are often coupled together as guys who, one, are going to run into more projectable volume, which can be a trap, as, as you so eloquently write about, in 2023, and two, have receiving chops, uh, we thought, maybe. <laughs> uh, how do you assess each going into 2023 and what you've seen in week one and you know, also relative to the guys uh, behind them uh, and – uh, also, you know, the Rashad White uh, write-up uh, preseason uh, produced, I think, one of your your greatest jokes. In, oh, which in, one? Which one the, was that? The uh, Infinite Sadness. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, sorry, I, I didn't know you were done. <laughs> Here. Okay. okay, thoughts on Rashad and Cook? Yeah, uh, Rashad okay. was brutal in week one. Um, yeah. He, he was he, he was he was probably the worst starting running back that I watched this week, I thought. And the stats would agree. He had, he was league bottom in rush yards over expectation per attempt. Um they the broadcast made note of him putting on like 10 pounds before this offseason. Yeah, I didn't know uh, about that. Which I think is a big red flag, personally. I I don't love when running backs put on additional weight. Um I understand why they do it, obviously, but it, it it tends to kind of, especially for a guy in white, 
doesn't tend to be a very creative runner. It's not his strength is not really being that guy who's going to consistently force missed tackles. Really, his best strength as a runner is just being fast. Um, and when you add an extra 10 pounds, you're at risk of not being as fast. And he looks pretty slow to me in this game. Um, that 4-4-3 test of athleticism was nowhere to be found on the tape. So don't feel good about him. I think that, uh, you know, I have no idea if John Tucker's any good. I thought he was like a little bit of an overrated prospect when he was being talked of as a day two guy. He goes undrafted. He's, you know, a far better prospect than most undrafted free agents. I would expect them to give him a shot at some point because White was really not providing anything for that uh, running game. And then James Cook, you know, I think you can really take it either two ways. If you're, if you're a James Cook fan, you should probably be pretty happy about the role. Um, it wasn't perfect. He lost a two-minute drill to Latavius Murray, and he lost a goal line uh, series to Damian Harris. So that's not ideal. But when he does but he does play almost every early down snap outside of short yardage and uh, two-minute drills in third uh, situations. So that's really impressive. He plays almost every third down. He was getting creative pass game usage. He had a really nice wheel route that he won. Josh Allen threw it behind him, and it got broken up. But he could have had a more efficient day if that hits. I'm just not sold that he's actually that good, I guess, um, is, is my issue. But if you are sold, you should probably be pretty pumped about the role. Yeah, it's the efficiency, you know, that upward pressure that you, mm-hmm. you've talked about that, you know, people, uh, we don't have been talking about this offseason. I, you know, I, I mentioned Dwayne and and it's it's kind of like a Drake London thing where all we need is just a little bit more volume and and boom. And I don't know, you know, like he he's he's actually lost nine pounds from when he got drafted, I, I think, or something like or five pounds. Yeah. He's down to one ninety. He's ne- I, uh, never had more like, than than like 15 carries in a game in like his college and NFL career. Like no. it, I don't like, you know, making bets on that. But when I look at the range of, of, of where he is and sort of in sort of my rankings, you know, and I'm looking at Montgomery and, and Sanders is not really, you know, making my pants tight either. I like Swift's talent. Acres, you know, shit the bed against. Well, I mean, they were kind of they were telegraphing runs, right? But like, you yeah. know, he, you know, that was it was a bad week. And then I'm getting into like one B's like Charb and Bigsby, who I, who I like, but you know, still TBD. And then you know, older guys like Aaron Jones and and Alvin Alvin Kamara. It's like it's kind of a very mixed bag that I have in that tier of like, I am not excited about any of these guys, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably prefer most of the receivers in that range. So uh, the the joke for for those, I don't know, if, do you mind me reading just the, the joke from? Go for it. Okay, yeah. Uh, so uh, when going through uh, possible outcomes for the Buccaneers uh, backfield in the offseason, uh, option two was the Bucks, despondent with the lack of talent in their running back room and the harrowing alternative of letting Baker Mayfield pass futilely rotate their backs like a depressed teen shuffling their iPod for a song until the season mercifully concludes. Think the Darkwa Perkins Vereen Gallman Committee of Infinite Sadness on the 2017 Giants. And then there's a reference I don't get. Melon Kali, Melon like Andrew Melon and Kali like the dog and the Infinite Sadness. What's the Melon and the Kali part? Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. It's an album by the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, I know, but what's what's the Melon and the Kali in this one from? What do you mean? 
Oh, that's the so that's the name of the album. They spell it not yes. like the word melancholy. Correct. This whole time, I thought they spelled it like the word melancholy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Brain fart. All right. Cool, cool. Uh, all right. So yeah, you know, I I'm not really sold on on either of those guys, especially especially Rashad White. Let's get going now with the fifth and final question. Um, you know, I, yeah. For, I, for people that feel that are, are listening and that aren't smashing buckets, it's spelled it's spelled M E L L O N, Colley C O L L I E. Like it's like a like it's like a person, but but like with a play on words. Yeah, dude. I don't know. I was a teenager in the '90s, and it's all a blur, man. I don't. I'm lucky I'm fucking alive at this point. Uh, so, you know, I was gonna ask you before the season, like, who are like the lower ranked running backs, the zero RB types that you want to, you want to target. Um, and I guess maybe we can go with that. Like who's going to have an expanded role or increased value among, you know, whether it's one B's or backups or handcuffs, you know, guys like Spears, a chain, Hubbard, Warren, Ingram, Tucker, mm-hmm. or Chandler, or you can talk about anything that surprised you or stood out to you in week one as either sticky and or fraudulent. I don't know, whichever one you want to take. Uh, let's do the first one. Let's do the first one. Yeah. So uh, like who, who in that group, you know, uh, yes. that, you know, you're pounding late in, in drafts, you know, and loading up uh, on with contingency upside, broadly speaking, who, right who now the guy, value increasing? Right, right now, the guy I'd want to add to every roster is Tucker. Um, I think that it's, you know, I don't know if he is going – like if and when he gets more a larger opportunity, I really don't know if he's good. Like, I think that some people in the fantasy community are probably, if anything, like too sure that he's good just based on a lot of his athleticism. But I, I really do think he's going to get a, a major opportunity here um, just based off of how poor Rashad White has played. And I just don't think that they're invested enough in him that they're in a spot where they're going to just live with that the entire year. They also notably, one of Sean Tucker's very first snaps, they schemed a screen pass to him directly, which I think is pretty telling uh, when he's, you know, he only ran like four routes, uh, starting on two of them. One of them was a design screen that they want to get the ball into his hands when he's out there. And I think you, you get this, it's kind of what happened with Rashad White last year, which was like, he had all of the makings of a fantasy friendly running back in that he had the size, the speed, the pass catching volume in college where like, you know, people sometimes mistake competencies for talent. And he had all the competencies. I, don't, I wasn't really sure if he had the talent. I thought he might. Now I don't think he does. But last year, it was like, we kind of just kept a free roll. Because as long as he gets a chance to get in there with Fournette, people are going to be really, really excited about this talent profile and be willing to pay for it. And that's how I kind of feel with Tucker. It's like, I think he's going to get the chance to play. I don't necessarily know if he's going to succeed with it, but I think people are going to view him with rose-colored glasses because people's priors on Sean Tucker are very positive. So I think we're going to get opportunity, and then we're going to get value accruals. Um, so that's a guy I would be making a, a serious effort to get on my teams. Okay. Um, yeah, he's he's someone I, I would joke with my, my co-host Jesse on the other show. We it was like sort of like a Spears versus uh, Tucker, you know, conversation. Right. during the draft process and I was a Spears guy and, and, and he, and he was a, he was a Tucker guy, but uh, you know, I didn't think the gap was that big. I just like to, you know, uh, bust his balls, but 
Um, you know, I think for me, I mean, it's Spears is already rostered and, you know, harder to trade for, but um, I think, you know, he's probably, he's probably my guy in that bunch. I think even early in the season, they're going to try to preserve Henry a little bit, you know, because they're probably, if they, if they're going to make a playoff run, if they survive that long and make a playoff run and sort of ride off into the sunset with Tanny and, and Henry, I think they're going to want to preserve him. And so I think you're going to see a little more Spears um, than some folks expected early yeah. in the season, you know, and he does have some receiving chops, you know, a more versatile skill set than anybody who's ever been behind Henry before. So he's a, he's a guy I like there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. All right. Well, that does it for our, our, our five questions. Uh, by the way, close runner up for running back joke was uh, I'm in a league with Tom and it, uh, he said, uh, I, I assure you the only thing Zeke Fournette and Kareem Hunt are going to nuke is a pizza pop. In other words, not somebody's running backs and back yeah. to the dream. And I had to Google pizza pop and apparently it's like a Canadian thing. Like, and so, yeah, it was, it was Oh, is that, all, is that not a thing in America? No, no, we don't. It, yeah. You guys don't have pizza pops. No, I think it's closest cousin oh, wow. might be like a pizza flavored hot pocket, maybe something like that, but a oh, hot pockets. That's the, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, and I uh, just want to say thanks to folks in the chat, like Jamie, uh, who is intimidated to send you trade offers. Uh, oh. he, you just assume that <laughs> Jacob won't accept. The reason I would be intimidated is not because of being rejected. It would be like, did you think it was a shitty offer? And I wouldn't want somebody who's res- who I respect so much thinking it was a shitty offer. <laughs> Oh, I got I, I, uh, I don't know. Usually, like, sometimes if, if, if it's like a friend and I think they have a really shitty offer, I'll make fun of them. U- usually, uh, usually I just, just decline. Uh, the only time that I ever get like rude with people in trades is if, uh, they send me like a clearly shitty offer and then I decline and I don't like say anything. And then they're just like, like, um, you know, so where are we at on that? And I'll be like, well, uh, we're, we're not. And they'd be like, and then they start doing that, you know, well, your guy's injured and he's bad and he's like that. And then, yeah. Which is the, um, which always reminds me of the Rick and Morty clip where Rick tells Morty, um, before what you were doing was called negging, it was called reverse psychology and incels didn't <laughs> invent it, Bugs Bunny did. Nice. So, uh, yeah, like, that's a good one. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's land the plane uh, on this one. Uh, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Going For Two Live podcast feed. Please make sure you subscribe, like, notifications, comment, feed the YouTube algorithm monster, everything it needs here uh, on the YouTube. Jacob, I can't thank you enough uh, for spending uh, an hour uh, with me and, and sussing out some running backs. I'm glad we able we were able to, to finally make this go with uh, – uh, uh, Ireland and Chicago and Vegas and, yeah, you know, apparently uh, apparently some really bad Kyle. security uh, of, <laughs> at, the, at Canada, which we, we, need to, we need to talk about. You ended up on you, – you're not going to – in a U.S. airport, you're not going to walk on the wrong flight. Like, I don't – like, that's just not happening. Not so happening. No, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. So you took a detour to, uh, uh, to, uh, to Los Angeles. But, yeah, other Canadian uh, – Kyle Senra is in the chat talking about yeah. blue bombers and tie cats yeah. and Jeez. I don't, I don't I mean, know. We didn't, and, we didn't need that. And rough riders. And, uh... <laughs> God. 
So he's trying to wound me after yeah. that after that game. <laughs> do you watch? Do you pay attention to CFL or? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the, so my I'm from Winnipeg originally. My Blue Bombers uh, played the Ticats today and lost. I, I watched the whole game. I'm a massive Bombers fan. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm way. I am way, way, way more invested in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers than I am in uh, the Indianapolis Colts for sure. Mm. That's like my. Like I, so I, it's like it's. Um, it's uh, yeah. The Bombers is like I mean I've been watching since I was growing up. We, we'd be going to games since I was a kid, and uh, especially since I moved to BC, it's like a fun way for me to like continue to have something that I've shared with my parents. Like like today, like doesn't we don't get to it every week just because stuff comes up. But like today was nice. It was a Saturday afternoon game, so like I just I got to watch. I would set up mine at the exact same time my parents were watching back in uh, back in Winnipeg. Um, so we just had like the call going so we could be like talk on the phone for the full game and watch together. It was, uh, it was nice. So I was trying to make sure, um, get out to a game whenever I go back in Winnipeg too. How did a good Canadian boy like yourself come to be a Colts fan? Oh man. I mean, there's no NFL like team in Canada. So everybody just kind of picks at random and, um, yeah, like Peyton Manning is cool. So when I was a kid, I was, uh, I just like started watching and, and fell in love with Peyton and kind of just fell in love with the Colts through that. When I was a kid, I mean, like a kid, you know, young kid, uh, in like the early days of of when cable was just becoming ubiquitous in the eighties, I believe there was there was a channel called Sports Channel, and I think, you know, they're just you know they're they're uh, wanting for for content, and I think you know uh, that's the channel that anyway. Long story short, in New Jersey, we got CFL games when I was a kid, right. so I got, I got to watch it a little bit, and you know the three downs instead of four, and the you know different you know motions and you know, the, the width of the field mm-hmm. is different, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Our slow and our balls bigger. Our slogan used to be our balls are bigger. Mm. Real story. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, game. So uh, folks strap in for the next half hour. Jacob, tell us about all your plugs. <laughs> I'll be quick. Um, all my written work. I'm thinking about thinking Jacob Sanderson You can find my in season checkers guide. You can find some other dynasty posts when they drop probably, Every, let's say, three or four weeks, I'll have a, a dynasty focus post in addition to my in-season hitchhiker's guide. Uh, you can find everything else on Twitter. I, I tweet out most of the links to the pods. But, yeah, Full Tilt, Dynasty Podcast, Tuesday nights, live. And then Sweat and Bullets, uh, the Dynasty Show with Drew, and the DFS Show with Davis are both pre-recorded. And those come out usually on Thursday. And if you listen to the DFS Show, you can learn new words like slappy and cromulent. That's true. We do say slappy and cromulent quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at ffjunkie underscore uh, uh, Dynasty Fever Podcast midweek audio only at Dynasty Fever Pod on Twitter. Uh, obviously going for two uh, here in this family of content, going for two.com. I have articles and rankings. There will not be much in-season writing. I was going to do this big four-part series on Dynasty, Dynasty running backs, and I just kind of didn't have the bandwidth for it in the summer. A lot of personal things going on. And then I kind of looked at what you wrote and I said, well, nobody needs to say anything else about dynasty running backs now. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, oh, we're, we're good. To, we're good to go with that. And obviously, you know, here every, uh, every week, seven thirty Eastern live on this YouTube channel with Josh Walker and sometimes guests. Um, yeah. Going for two.com. If uh Go there, and then bottom right, little purple thing, Discord. Hop in there, hella channels. This show has a channel. 
you know, lots of, you know, trade talk, you know, where uh, me and Tom uh, argue with people and, uh, <laughs> and and about trades and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, DFS and best ball and yada, 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 and all that jazz. Uh, and we've got uh, pretty much a podcast for you every day or night of the week here on this YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe and notify and all that jazz. And uh, yeah, that's a wrap. Thanks for watching. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Sweet. Thanks for having me on.